Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, and your peace. Lord God, many of us came to the church this morning uh, bearing burdens. Burdens of grief, sadness, uh, failure. Lord, we come and we lay them at your feet. Give us the strength, Lord God, to let go of those things and to entrust them to you. Lord God, many of us also came filled with joy and hope and prospect of what this new day holds for us. Lord God, we we commit that to you as well. We commit our joys to you and our hopes to you. Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us today. Speak, speak through your word. Give me your words as well to speak to your people and fill us all with your word and with the hope of your love. Lord, and I pray that you would lead us, lead us into your throne room and lead us to yourself that we might know you and love you and serve you truly. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. So spectacular to see you all today. Uh, Who likes to climb mountains? Oh yeah, climbing mountains. What size mountains? Little ones or big ones? Medium? Okay. Well, it's funny because the first two services, their answer was little ones, like universally, little ones. So you all are a little more adventurous, I guess. They're more adventurous in when they wake up. You're more adventurous in uh, what you do once you're awake, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, mountains can be great. They can be a lot of fun, right? You get up on the top of a mountain, you can have an amazing view. I love an amazing view, right? You can have uh, a great exercise experience. Uh, you can have an exhilarating moment up there as the wind rushes by and you see birds flying overhead. I mean, it can be, or below you, it can be incredible up on top of a mountain. It can also be scary and tiring, right? It can be really, really difficult. Uh, in the West, when we climb mountains, we often are faced with the, the opportunity to look down and see the trail that you came up, which is kind of a cool thing to do, right? To see where you've been. You can look back, maybe see where your car is parked or where your town is, depending on what mountain it is. Right? I love doing that. And if, if maybe your, your hike is, you're in this mountain climbing is only a part of where you're going, you can also sometimes look down and see what the trail ahead of you holds. Right? And that can be either a good experience or not, right? Noticing that your trail is much more difficult ahead than you thought it would be. That uh, maybe the destination ahead of you is a lot further away than you had hoped. Right, that can be a difficult thing as well. But climbing mountains, despite how great it can be, it's not always a sublime experience. Anyone ever had a difficult time on a mountain before? When I was 13, my dad uh, decided it would be a great idea for us to climb Mount Shasta together. And to ski down, right? I mean, what else do you do with your 13-year-old, right? Uh, so uh, we were going to be with a group of his friends, and so we we were going to do an uh, we were going to it was going to be a three-day trip. Usually, you just do a day. You wake up way before dawn, two in the morning, and start hiking under headlamp. But for us, we were going to take a more leisurely stroll. We were going to carry our stuff: skis and ski boots, tent supplies, food, and water, and we were going to haul that all up to this um, 
snow-filled valley partway up the mountain. Then we were going to sleep the night there. And then the next morning, a pre-dawn assault on the peak. And then come back down, spend the night, and then hike back out the next day. Right? Sounds pleasant, doesn't it? Uh, Leisurely. Um, You know, carrying all that stuff in the first day was exhausting. Right? So you wake up the second day feeling what? Tired, right? So you're starting your assault on the peak exhausted already. So we hike up there. We get up to the false summit. Uh, the false summit's like it, it looks like it's the peak, and it looks like you're really close. But when you get to that peak, you find that it's actually not, and the other peak is there beyond it. And so that that area in on Mount Shasta between the false summit and the real peak, I don't know how it got this name, but it's called Misery Mile. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, and somehow, somehow, uh, the day turned from being, when we hit Misery Mile, the day turned from being crystal clear and beautiful and glorious and pleasant to being completely socked in with clouds, snow falling, wind howling past us. Right? I don't know how the clouds knew their cue, but they were there right when we got to Misery Mile. Another beautiful thing about Misery Mile is there's like some volcanic uh, geothermal vents up there, which makes the snow really porous. And so when you're walking through Misery Mile, you're sinking in up to your hips with every step, post-holing. And so you have that added joy, um, which really makes you appreciate nature. And So I found myself partway through Misery Mile totally wiped out, totally wiped out. And I lay there in the snow, my legs stuck up to the hip, and I thought, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. I'm 13, I've seen it all, you know, I've lived a full life, I am ready to meet my maker, you know, that's enough, that's enough. Sometimes our mountaintop experiences are like that. Right. Sometimes they present us with that moment where we reflect back on our lives, as I did as I lay on that snow, reflected back on my life and considered it in retrospect. In our Old Testament passage for today, we're on another mountaintop. And this experiment, or this experience is similar in some ways and different in very real ways as well. Uh, the Lord has taken Moses at the ripe young age of 120 Uh, to the top of Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite the town of Jericho. Now, this mountain is located in the modern state of Jordan, and uh, as it it was described earlier, it's across the Jordan River from the town of Jericho, which is kind of interesting. That river in that area has has seen some major events since since that time, right? So uh, that's the area where Joshua and the people of Israel would pass through the Jordan River on dry land, uh, that area is also what could be one of the baptism sites of Jesus by John the Baptist. Uh, it's a significant place that that area would be the site of so many amazing things. Is that also where Elijah and Elisha crossed through? Anybody know? I think it might be. So it's a pretty phenomenal little stretch of the river right there. And Moses is on that mountain sitting there looking at this little stretch of river and looking out over the promised land. He knows that he will not be able to go in, but God has given him this look, this glimpse of what is ahead for his people. And he's looking off in the distance and he sees that city of Jericho. 
right? And he knows from the song that Joshua is going to fight the battle of Jericho. (laughs) Well, he doesn't know that yet, but he knows that there's going to be a battle there and Joshua is going to be in charge, right? Joshua will fight the battle of Jericho and the Lord will deliver that city into the hand of the Israelites by his power and his grace. He will cause the walls to topple down just by them marching around it and blowing trumpets and shouting. Phenomenal, right? It's amazing the way God will provide for his people. Moses is also looking in on the land that he and his people have longed for for generations. The promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. That's right. Watch where you step. A place of richness and plenty where God will take the reproach away from his people and he will provide for them. It is on the border of this land that the Lord speaks to Moses up on this mountaintop. And he tells him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Now, there's two important things in this statement from God. The first is that the Lord is going to fulfill his promises. The promise he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, he was going to bring it to pass. The Lord would be faithful to what he had sworn to them so long ago. It would be fulfilled. He would give the land to their descendants. This will happen, and it does come to pass by the grace of God. God's promise was fulfilled. A promise that must have seemed so impossible just 40 years before, as the Israelites labored under the whip of the Egyptians, building bricks without straw, right? Trying to, trying to do impossible tasks with their children's lives threatened. The promise must have seemed so distant then. But here it was, just across the river. The second element of this that's important is that Moses is not going into that promised land. Moses had been told earlier that he would not go into it with the Israelites because of his own unfaithfulness, which is a total bummer, right? I mean, he leads these people all these years, and then there he is, stuck, looking in the promised land, but not able to go in. And yet we don't see regret or bargaining with God here. Moses seems satisfied, at peace, with where God has brought him. Our passage closes by telling us that Moses was a great leader and prophet, a man whom the Lord knew face to face. He had an intimate relationship with God. He was a person who loved God and tried to serve him. He was a friend of God. In doing this, Moses had led his people to the edge of the land, and Joshua, serving as God's servant, would lead them in. My guess is that at a time like this, Moses' world was foreshortened. Right? Off in the distance, Moses could see the future for his people, the green banks of the Jordan River, but he can also look back on his own life. I wonder as he prepared to die there on that mountain, what he thought of. What were his good and bad memories? What was he ashamed of? What was he proud of? In my own life, I've considered this with some regularity. 
right? I don't know if it's a function of having to do funerals, you know, where you're, you're thinking about what's important to people and trying to express that. But I think about this a lot. Do you? Absolutely. Am I weird or I know I'm weird, but are you weird with me too? Right? Yes. Okay. But there's one particular moment in my life where I really took some time to think about this and to write about it. Uh, it was when I was preparing to go to Afghanistan with my ranger unit, right, to go and um, to go and serve over there. Before I went, I sat down, I prayed, and I wrote a letter to my wife Tara and our daughter Lena because I wanted them to know what I held valuable in my life. I wanted them to know, despite what I actually did in my life, what was important to me. Because sometimes we don't actually live out our values. Anyone ever notice that in your life? Right? We want to be known as generous and kind and thoughtful and loving, but some, you know, most of the time we're selfish and crude and mean and hurtful, right? Uh, I wanted them to know that. I wanted them to know what I had as my values, what was important to me, so that if I didn't return, there would be something to speak for me, to speak on my behalf. For Moses, we can see in his life where he placed his value. He had given everything to God. He had given him his strength, his wisdom, his frailties, his possessions. He'd given him his life. This idea, this idea of what Moses lived out in this all-encompassing narrative is called stewardship. That's what that means, stewardship. It has to do with how we treat everything that God has given us. And what is it that God has given us? What has God given us? Everything. everything. All right, let's list some everything. What's included in everything? Life. Life. Trees. Air. Trees, air. Water. Water. Food. Food. Oxygen. Thank you. Oxygen. Absolutely. What else? Dust. Birds. Family. Life. Animals. Yeah. Love. Love. Yeah. Amazing. All that has been given us by God. Every time our heart beats, every time we feel the breath of a warm breeze against our cheek, every time we see a flower that's maybe hidden behind a tree off the trail that maybe no one else will see in the flower's lifetime. Right? Those are all gifts from God. These beauty, the peace, and life. Those are all things that he's given us. And stewardship is that term of how we live out and do what we do with all this that God has given us, all this that he's entrusted to us. Now, today is a day, uh, we call it Stewardship Sunday, where we're collecting in the pledges of the church. And pledges are just a tool to give us an opportunity to consider our lives, to consider our budgets, and to consider our priorities and whether our budgets reflect those priorities. And to remember God in the midst of our planning, to think of him, and to think of what legacy we want to live in the way we give. This season gives us an opportunity to sit down and seek to prioritize our lives according to our values. As we said earlier, stewardship speaks of so much more than money, although oftentimes it's used as a shorthand for money. It really is everything in our lives and in this world is stewardship. What do we do with it? Like Moses, the Lord asks everything of us. We are his. Our talents, our strengths, our love, 
our devotion, our weakness, our failures, all belong to God. And like Moses, we must all climb Mount Nebo at some point and face our maker and look on the promised land. When we look back, what will our life have been about? When others look back on our lives, what will they remember? Oh, I remember him. He spent more time in the garage than anyone I knew. Right? Or, oh, I know her. Yeah, she never missed an episode of Dancing with the Stars. Right? What is it? Are those the things that we want to be known for? I know for myself. It's incongruous often, my values and my actions. You know, I waste a bunch of time doing things that really don't matter, and then I don't spend the time doing things I really should be doing. You might be like me. A day like this gives us an opportunity to look back, to look back on our lives, and to look forward. What do we want to project in the future for who we are? Who do we want to be through Christ? I want to be known as a person who lived his life in devotion to God, and I loved other people like myself. What about you? What do you want to be known for? What do you want your children to think of when they think of you, and your grandchildren, and your neighbors, and your friends? Today, as we turn over our gifts to the Lord, may we thank him for being the source of all that we have, and all that we are, and ask that he would use the gifts that we offer to him and our lives for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love and your mercy that you choose people such as us, Lord, to be your servants and your witnesses in this world. Lord God, we feel so unworthy. We fall short. We are short with others. Lord, we're selfish. We're faithless. We confess this to you, Lord. We confess to you that we have squandered your creation and the gifts you have given us. Lord God, help us to be faithful. Help us to be good stewards. Forgive us and wash us clean by the blood of your Son, who was and is and ever will be the one true faithful steward the one who everything was given to him and he was faithful with it till the end. Lord God, we entrust ourselves to him now, to Jesus Christ. And we ask for your forgiveness, your love, and your strength. Help us, Lord God, to live for you and to follow you this day and forevermore. May we be faithful stewards. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.